Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm editor-in-chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. Katori Hall has a way of making the most dynamic, interesting characters come to life. And there's been no better display of that than the world she's created on the show P-Valley that's addicting and one of my personal favorite shows to binge. Katori is a master storyteller from P-Valley's strip club in the Mississippi Delta to Mountaintop, which was based on Martin Luther King, and of course the Tina Turner musical. We got a chance to talk to her about her career, her writing process, and of course what to expect on the next season of the show. Hey, Lindsay. Hi, thank you for doing this. Oh my God, thanks for asking. So I start every show by asking about your literal shoes since this show is called In Her Shoes um, and we got to get our fashion fix in. Um, so tell me about either what shoes you have on right now or your favorite pair of shoes right now. Child, I ain't got no shoes on right now. <laughs> I am at home. I know, well we started, <laughs> that's, what, that's why I asked both because it's like either people are home when they're doing these, I'm in the office, but... What are your favorite shoes that you're like, this is the energy that I need when I go into a meeting or when I need to, to feel good shoes you wear? So what's hilarious about me is that I don't care how nothing looks real talk. I really just go for comfort. Um, and mm. so uh, a shoe that um, is my go-to, just Air Force Ones. I have probably like 20 pair, Ooh. all different colors. Um, some are- I have a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know- put them on it doesn't even matter if it's going with a, a dress versus jeans um you can dress them up dress them down put like little chains on them but that's the thing especially when i'm like ripping and running in life yeah and on set. i hear that yeah i hear that if there were shoes designed for the girls on p valley what what do you think the shoes would look like so what's interesting is because they're always in those sky high heels yeah i think going in the other direction like crocs that have like all kinds mm. of embellishments on them um, my mama actually just got into um designing embellished crocs and, and ordering all kinds of little trinkets and stuff to put on them uh wow. so yeah comfort wow <laughs> Um, okay, and so more figuratively, what would you say it's like um, in your life to be in your shoes right now? Wow, to be in my shoes right now. That's a really great question. Um, I am balancing so many different 
responsibilities, hats, ambitions, dreams, desires. And so it feels like I'm in 10 feet tall (laughs) platforms trying to balance Mm -hmm. uh, and walk my way through life. Like I just had a baby. It's a year ago, but just had a baby, you know. Congratulations. And she has really kept me um, sane and insane um, in (laughs) in the midst of also trying to run a a huge show in the midst of also just parenting the the other two kids. You know, Um, it's it's a lot. Um, Mm hmm. But even though I feel like I'm a little high in the sky in my heels right now, <laughs> um, I, I would say this is the most grounded that I've ever felt in a very long time because I feel like I'm just beginning to learn how to balance my abundance. Yeah. And luckily, I, I don't fall too much. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, let's go back to the beginning for people um obviously so many amazing projects that you've worked on and led um what made you realize that you wanted to make a career out of writing characters and making them come to life it kind of happened because I failed a lot at the other things (laughs) like I wanted to be an actress for a very long time and I think just innately I'm a storyteller so whether it was going to be by you know, my actual voice using my body or my actual fingers, I was going to figure out a way to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually, once I kind of saw that there wasn't enough for black women specifically um, in in media and in, in film and TV, especially, I think that's when I decided to um, segue right. and and really sit down on the on that other side of the table at the desk and and, and pull out that computer and create. Mm-hmm all the things that I wanted to see and possibly be. But um, I, right. I eventually gave up on my my acting career, even though every once in a while I'll pop up on P-Valley. You just got to be, your eyes got to be quick enough to see me. But um, but yeah, it, it gives me such satisfaction to hold space and create and reflect worlds and characters that um, I haven't seen, family members haven't seen um, ever right. on TV. And so after you won Pulitzer, which is so huge um, for Hot Wing King, did you then feel like, okay, I've always known that I want to do storytelling now. All these opportunities are starting to roll in. Or did you feel like you still had to prove yourself in the stories that you wanted to tell? Always. You always have to prove yourself. What's so interesting about that award specifically is that I think anyone, particularly in drama, that's kind of like our top award. Like there may be something mm-hmm. else, but like if you get the pillow, no. it that's what I'm saying. And it's like once you get that, yeah, yeah. it's really about can you get another one? Can you get another one? Shout out to Lynn Nottis. She got two. And it's like I'm trying <laughs> to get on my Lynn Nottis tip. But you know, that may not happen. And and one is enough. And so this thing of were there more opportunities? Not really. And that's interesting, right? As a successful black writer who does get the top award in their field, um, it didn't necessarily give me more confidence. I've always kind of had confidence in my own writing um, and what I have mm-hmm. to say, but I will say it probably made other people more comfortable that they had given me a platform. They were like, because I think initially they mm. were scared. They're like, oh my God, we gave her all this money to do this show. And then it switched to, of course, 
Buffett gave her all this money to do this show. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Get out of my face. You know? Right. So it's like the confidence that other people had in me improved. But I wouldn't necessarily say at this point in time, um, more doors have been opened. Right, right, right. I mean, you've written a few plays, musicals, obviously Mountaintop, which is based on Dr. King, uh, Tina Turner musical. I saw and loved that. Um, How did you go about the process of writing about real life people as opposed to fictional characters? It's interesting. I actually have the same approach where I, in a weird way, I try to put myself in their shoes. Um, With Tina Mm. Turner, I literally was able to fly and sit with her and talk about her shoes, talk about her life, talk about all <laughs> kinds of things um, beyond the music. And I think it was so important with her specifically to really be in the room with her um, because everyone thinks they they know her story because of the movie um, and because she's very and was very transparent uh, about everything that she went through. And so mm-hmm. it still is, right? Um, however, it it was interesting to be able to listen to her silences and listen to her answers uh, to questions that were hard to answer. Um, and mm-hmm. and that was how I was able to, I think, do, um, I wouldn't necessarily even say a new version of her life, but uh, uh, an articulation of her life that really delved into some things that she was still working through, even at her older age as a woman. The fact that, you know, she's mm-hmm. still trying to make sense of, the fact that she had a toxic relationship with her mother. Um, and so mm-hmm. research is just so, you know, central to my writing process. Um, and she's a real person. Now, if it's a fictional person, kind of the same thing where I try to research the world that the person exists in and is trying to conquer. And I literally just sit back and I'm like, if it was me in those shoes, you know, what would I do? What would I say? How would I be? How would I conquer? Um my objectives mm-hmm. and, and, and then stories kind of just automatically come out of my, my mind that way. Do you feel like there's a big difference in, in writing for plays or writing for TV and, and making that transition when you're working in between projects though? Yes, but I must say each one has taught me to be a better writer. Um, like each medium, has, like for example, I was working on P-Valley at the same time I was working on The Hot Wing King. And something that's very interesting about TV is that you get a lot of notes. You get notes on top of notes to the point where you got to learn how to. I've heard this. Yeah. Like from all these executives, executive producers, you know, once actors come in, sometimes the actors want to weigh in with notes. It's just, it's a lot. But instead of being, I don't know, deflated by the notes, I was like, you know what? What are they trying to say? What is not working? And what I I put on the page that I can shift so that I can get my intention across better. So I learned how to become a better rewriter of my own material. And I kind of learned that writing is actually rewriting. Like the first draft (laughs) just ain't going to cut it nine times out of 10, really 10 times out of 10. So with Howling King, because um, I have been given a note to basically terrify my my the first like draft of my first season they were like I had written four scripts they were like you need to start over because something is not working so I trashed those scripts and started over Mm -hmm. and so when I approached Hot Wing King I was so not precious about anything because I knew that I could do another draft and I could probably do Mm -hmm. it better 
Um, and so, yes, they're two completely different mediums, different formats, different styles, different approaches to how characters are laid out. But at the end of the day, the core is a story that has a clear intention. And what do you have to do in order to make your intention as clear as possible? And so I, you know, I don't think I would have even won the Pulitzer had I not been working on P-Valley because P-Valley taught me how to be a better writer because it taught me how to have a better process. I mean, let's talk about P-Valley, though, because obviously such an amazing show. Oh, thank you. Um, what, was, what was it like pitching, though? Because, I mean, it's a show about a black strip club <laughs> in the South, and I'm sure people are like, wait, what? Like, what is what is this? So pitching was crazy. There were some people who were like, girl, you cannot even come through the dough. We are not hearing this pitch. We are not. We are. We know we are not going to buy it. I'm sure. Totally. So I remember going around town. Um, some people, their eyes would be open, like really, really wide because they were titillated, but not for the right reason. I was like, oh, they just want to see some ass. I'm like, this is not the right place. Then other people would be like a little like, oh, my God, no. Like they were clutching their pearls. So I was like, OK, you're not the right place. But then I remember my pitch meeting at Stars and so funny because I was like late I was like why am I so late to this damn meeting but anyway I digress and I'm sitting across and I was like okay since I'm 20 minutes late I have to pitch my heart out and so I just went into this big speech about we have to humanize these women this is not um something to be titillated by this is something to be moved by these women are are human beings they're just like you they're just like your mother they're just like your sister and so it i came from such a grounded place especially because as a black southern woman i have frequented these strip clubs and by that time i had i think interviewed over 40 women about their lives as dancers all across the nation. Mm -hmm. So I I just came from such a well-informed place that they were just like, oh my God, we love this, but you're going to pitch it again. So I remember having to pitch it again to the president of the network at the time and still same mm -hmm. thing, really impassioned and clear plea as to why these women needed to be reflected on TV. And they were like, all right, there you go. We're going to give you the keys to the kingdom and let's go see what you do, <laughs> right? I mean, you said, though, that you knew that this show was going to be successful yes. and you told the executives that you knew, you know, you were going to get X amount of people per yes. episode, that it was going to be yes. a hit. How did you how did you know that, though, internally? Because I'm sure so many people go into those meetings thinking my show is a genius <laughs> idea. Like what what did you feel? I mean, what did you feel about the show that you felt would really resonate with people? Because I grew up going to strip clubs and I knew that there was like a baked in audience like I am well aware how rappers have built whole entire careers off of playing their music in strip clubs. I, I knew that mm -hmm. Black women in those clubs, these dancers, are kind of like the A&R of the streets. Like, if they ain't dancing to it, it's probably ain't gonna bop on the radio. So I knew the mm -hmm. respect that our culture, you know, gave to these women, you know, most of our culture gives to these women and I was just like, if I get this opportunity to put this out in the world in a way that is super elevated and like I said, super grounded at the same time, it's going to be a hit. It has to be because I just knew right. um, just by going to strip clubs, just like when you go on a Saturday night, hell, sometimes on a Monday night and you just see <laughs> everybody and just the, the experience of a black strip club, especially down south 
I was like, oh, hell no. There's no way this can't be successful. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. you talked earlier about balancing abundance and I know that you wear a lot of hats for P Valley being obviously the creative executive producer and showrunner. How do you, how do you do all of that? Uh, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) What, what did, what did each of those roles entail to break it down for people also who may not understand the difference between, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times a show will get made and the creator actually does not run the show mostly because they don't have the experience to run the show um you know they they didn't come up the 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 usual uh tv writing ladder um but Mm -hmm. luckily i was given the opportunity to be on my set and make literally every decision um at the macro level like creatively which is the kind of creator hat but then on the ep showrunner level which is i'm Mm -hmm. day to day on the ground talking to the grips talking to the dp talking to the directors problem solving oh my god y'all are not gonna make your day girl what we gonna do (laughs) how we gonna make our day (laughs) like just managing souls managing the operation looking at budgets learning how a budget is made learning how to make a budget that's too small work all of those things Mm -hmm. um I, I kind of learned on the fly. I had no idea how, how to do it uh, on, on my first day, which is, I think, sometimes you're like, stars, are y'all okay that y'all like literally <laughs> put a person in the cockpit who was like, okay, y'all, this is my first time flying. Okay, y'all ready? Did y'all put y'all seatbelts on? Because I didn't, <laughs> you know? But yeah. somehow we landed. And we keep on, you yeah. know, going up into the sky and landing again. And it's been a beautiful learning experience for me. And I can't wait to go into this third season, a fourth season, a fifth season as we yeah. kind of all grow as a collective um, and get bigger and better. It's it's a dream because I know there's not that many of me and there's not that many opportunities um, for anybody, don't matter your color or your gender. It's not a lot of showrunner yeah. opportunities. So I just feel really, totally. really blessed to to be able to do it right now. I mean, there's also um, so many. I mean, I feel like everybody always has a favorite character, but we have to talk about Uncle Clifford, um, who's obviously a queer character in the South um, and very hilarious and entertaining. Um, do you, is there a real life person or personal influence that you referenced in, in creating a lot of these characters? Absolutely. Uncle Clifford specifically is a mixture of my mom, my dad and my real Uncle Clifford. I really wanted wow. to create a character that was feminine and masculine in equal measure. And, you know, those three people um, in my life specifically both have 
an amazing amount of strength, an amazing amount of tenderness. Um, you know, the, the men are the softies <laughs> of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And to, to yep. be able to just, you know, use all of those real life ingredients and just kind of put it in a bowl, mix it, mix it, mix it, and bake it. And Uncle Clifford pops out into this amazing, beautiful creation that I'm so happy that, you know, people are enjoying because she is based on people who I love so much in my life. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of Clifford, I think something that this show has done in such a groundbreaking way that a lot of shows haven't is just really showing, I think, a lot of intimacy between queer characters um, and especially black queer characters. Um, why was that important to you? And what, you know, where did your thinking come from and, and constantly wanted to create that season after season? It's interesting because I think when people think of a show that's centered in a strip club, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going we gonna to see you know, sexiness and maybe we will see some sex, whether it's in the club or outside the club. And for me, I'm like, well, okay, yes, we're going to do that because that's authentic um, to human um, nature and also the the world. But what I haven't been able to see visually articulated as much is when people are actually intimate, like true intimacy. And true intimacy is not just sex. It's not just a lap dance. It's caring, it's hugging, it's a whisper in your lover's ear, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, letting your guard down. And so that, to me, has been the most radical thing about the show, like that we're doing what I call radical intimacy. And so Mm -hmm. obviously the characters, you know, season one, they kind of have to meet and they have the hots for each other and they're, you know, sexy people. So they're going to have the hots for each other. But now we're getting into the season three where these people are naked in a completely different way. They're more vulnerable with each other. They're sharing their past. They're saying they're sharing their dreams with each other. And so um, I think that black bodies in general in media are like, it's, we're often misrepresented and to show us loving on each other and being in love with each right. other, it's just, I think, a really uh, radical depiction that I want to be able to um, do over and over again in Pew Valley. Also, I mean, I think um, the dynamic between Mercedes and just seeing the estranged mother-daughter mm-hmm. dynamic is something that I think we talk about a lot as Black people, but you don't often see, I think, um, presented in that way. And just the, the breakdown of all of those characters, what made you want to explore that and that relationship between mother-daughter and women and dynamics in adulthood? I, it's raw and it's real. And I have a lot of friends who have very, very challenging relationships with their mother. I think there's this, you know, um, this myth of like, oh, black women, they take care of everybody. They they feed everybody. They nurse everybody, baby. They take care of uh, <laughs> black super women, right? And it's like, sometimes you don't want to do all that. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, you know, yeah. And that's the humanity of being seen as an actual person where your your mistakes are just as appreciated and explored as, you know, the, the things that you do right. And so to right. really show... Um, you know, even though I will say the relationship between Mercedes and Patrice is like high level dysfunction, toxicity, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's drama. We're doing drama, but you know, you, you go to the edge to explore something and, um, it's, it's just a really 
honest depiction of some people's relationships. And also it kind of plays against this idea that um, black women have to be perfect mothers and and all women have to be perfect mothers, that there's complexity right. um, in, in our quest to through motherhood. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I also have to ask because uh, we had Meg Thee Stallion on our cover. So what was it like having her portray her own alter ego, Tina Snow? How did that come about? So we had loved her from jump. I remember flipping through YouTube and saw this gorgeous woman with that quick tongue in front of some little house in some little suburban house in Houston. I'm like, who this girl doing this freestyle? <laughs> we got to find her. Was telling... um. I think the executives about her and I, at that time, I actually, um, I wanted a kind of um, posse-esque um, a main title. So I was like, oh, maybe we, if we got Juicy and Megan and Cardi and all these people on, on the main title. We ended up just, you know, um, being able to do one. But the fact that she was always kind of like in the mix, in the mix. She actually ended right. up auditioning for the character of Mercedes. And I always credit her with teaching me about the character because when I saw her audition, I was like, oh my God, Mercedes has to be that woman you cannot take your eyes off of, who's so charismatic, who's so confident and wide in the world. Because that's what Megan was when she was just popping out. So she she didn't do it. However, we found Brandy Evans, who I would say stepped into Mercedes shoes herself and just filled them. Like it, we, it was a godsend to have someone like Brandy Evans who had the experience that she did to um, play the yeah. character. But you know, Meg, that's, that's our girl. And so when she was able to come for season two, you should have saw me. I was twerking in my office. I was like, Oh, we got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. Like, and then I, you know, my knee gave out because you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have the Meg knees. I don't have the Megan knees. Um, but it's just, it was a dream to work with her. I haven't, like I said, wanted to work with her from jump, from jump. Yeah. And so it came true. We love her. We love her too. Yeah. Love, love. Um, okay. So before we talk about, season three has there been an episode that is still like the most memorable for you looking back or that you just felt like was going to really shake up viewers and generate a lot of conversation that you were really excited to come out you know um one of the episodes it's like saying what's your favorite child i can't say no i can't say but uh an episode that I'm so proud of this episode uh, five of the uh, second season, the Keyshawn backstory um, episode, oh, yeah, okay. you know, uh, something that was unfortunate that happened was that a lot of people blamed her for her own domestic abuse, particularly at the end of season mm. one. And I really felt like it was my responsibility as an artist to provide the why. And the question why is a hard question to answer. But I was like, we really need to allow audiences to understand so they can empathize with her so they won't blame her for her being abused by another man. Um, And so it was such a challenging episode. I think that was one of the times that we um, got shut down uh, during COVID, just, you know, dealing with the uptick in Georgia. And um, there was just a a challenging, challenging time and, and, and filming challenging subject matter. But my my dear Shannon Thornton, like <laughs> she's a beast. She was a beast. I was like, yeah, girl, you yeah. got your own movie, <laughs> like and go. <laughs> um, and she she just dug into that and and really just 
she she broke the viewers' hearts. And it was in that moment where I saw less of the blame on Twitter coming towards her way. And a lot of women actually opening up and being like, hey, I, I've i gone through this too. And so there was a lot of difficult conversations right. that I think uh, were sparked by that particular episode. Um, but I was really, really um, happy that it finally um, stopped the blame game a bit. Um, in, mm. at least in social media land. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so season three. What, what, I mean, you got to give us something. I ain't give y'all nothing because these folks <laughs> have been coming for my ass. I said it was going to be a Mississippi minute and they was blaming me like, oh, you write slow, you write slow. Well, let me tell y'all <laughs> something. I turned in my scripts yesterday and what's today? We on strike, right? <laughs> This is so true. don't blame this is me true. as to why y'all ain't got y'all show. We, people deserve to be paid. Do. So yeah. pay me what you owe me. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> well, then tell us anything that's next for you, or um, you know, new directing or anything new that's on the horizon. You know, that you can tell me in about. general, I just want to direct a whole lot more. I fell in love with mm. it during the second season of Fee Valley. I got an opportunity to direct the the season finale last season and right. um just it's i felt like i'm like oh my god this is what i'm supposed to be doing too um so just like let me give, give me give me creed three give me creed four give me something i'm ready <laughs> i love i love thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really thank appreciate you it. i'm such a fan i like read everything yeah we, we love you we stand and i'm very excited <laughs> In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our lead producer is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brandon McFarlane. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.